everybody. I'm Jamie Duke. And I'm Joe Fontenot. Welcome back to the podcast, The Towel in the Basin. That's right. And so the past few episodes, we've looked at this question, um, basically life after death. We've looked mm-hmm. at the Christian doctrine of life after death. Uh, we've looked at the two kind of forms, with the, the intermediate state and then bodily resurrection. And right. just sort of kind of the things that we have to keep in mind and weigh as we consider those. And so now this is just kind of like some miscellaneous questions um, that are just sort of random and left over. So these are some questions I'm going to say them real quick and then just kind of maybe you can take them one at a time or something like that. Um, Just to kind of just, yeah, just kind of give you an idea of what we got. So first of all, do all dogs really go to heaven? Serious question. (laughs) (laughs) You're laughing at my serious question. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) What happens to the soul? Um, like whether you're Christian or even non-Christian, right. okay, after okay. we die, where is heaven physically is a question. Hmm. Can we sin in heaven, all right? Mm-hmm. And, and this okay. is really, I think, a question about free will because um, mm-hmm. we sin down here. Um, and what do we know about this existence of life after death? Like, for instance, people have this image in their mind of, are, is grandma looking down on us? You know, ah. is that true? Or, and so yeah, forth. okay. Okay. Um, okay, so these okay, are kind of fine. the, yeah, these are the miscellaneous random questions okay which no, let, me, one? let me just say this real quick though i mean I, those are all fun questions I'll, I'll take a shot at each of them though but um on each of those questions they're they're asking about areas that we may or may not have clear and distinct answers there's varying okay. degrees of certainty we would have given what scripture says on all those questions which means on every single one of those questions, there's going to be a level of speculation. I'll be glad to try to speculate. I think in these moments, what I'd say to listeners on this, when we try to speculate, what we what we utilize in our speculations are the clear principles of Scripture that we do have. So in other words, based off of what we do know, those principles, we can try to piece together some answers on those questions. But we don't yeah. take anything we say here just as you know, grain of salt to, to folks just trying to think it through is really, yeah. that's a really good point. Um, okay. So do all dogs go to heaven? <laughs> all dogs? <laughs> yes, but not cats. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you get asked this question a lot. Do, do animals go to heaven? The default answer that most Christians will give uh, is no, that animals don't go to heaven, that our dogs and our pets don't go to heaven. Um, and I think the reason most people would say something like that, and I'm not necessarily differing with that, but I would say, I think the, the reason most Christians will answer no in that case is simply because the scriptures don't say anything about it. Mm-hmm. We should know that that is an argument from silence, which may or may not be indicative. Okay. Mm-hmm. Scripture doesn't say anything about it, but there is a deeper theological question. And that is, well, if animals get to go to heaven, is there some kind of soteriology for them? Is there a way of salvation? Is there have to be a sort of dog atonement, if you will, or, or something like that? How do we reconcile their sin or something like that? And I, I, that's a that's an important theological question. I'm not convinced that uh, if animals such as dogs and cats and things of that nature, hamsters and gerbils, really have moral constitution in the first place. Uh, I don't don't think that they have sufficient cognitive capacities that would generate and give to them uh, the moral compass necessary to actually have guilt in the first place. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't experience the fall because they come into this world with diseases as well. 
and they behave in certain ways that are contrary perhaps to their design. So they experience the fall, but I don't know that they experience the fall as moral agents like you and I are. Moral mm-hmm. agent, a moral agent is a being that is capable of moral actions. And uh, we have that. Angels have that. Um, but I don't know that animals have that. So I don't, I don't know that there would have to be some kind of uh, doggy atonement, if you will, for that to happen. I think the bigger, the bigger trouble here on this question is, man, the scriptures are just silent. Well, I should say this. They're silent about your dog, your specific dog. Mm-hmm. Now, you do have to note, if, if the question is asked, is my dog in heaven? I don't know. If the question is, are there animals in heaven? Absolutely, right. yes. Clearly, if throughout the prophecies about heaven, <clears throat> throughout the book of Revelation, I mean, Jesus himself comes back riding on a white horse, for crying out loud. So right. okay, there's at least one animal. And <laughs> this is a place where the lion and the lamb lay down together. Now, people could say, well, that's just metaphorical. It's, it's suggesting that there's an easement of hostility and there's now peace and things like that. Yeah, but I still I, the metaphor. If you strip the metaphor of any kind of any kind of actual literal sense, then I don't know that we have a whole lot to, to base our knowledge on. Mm-hmm. Um, there, the, all that to say, the natural reading of the texts would would take us in the direction of saying yes, there are animals there. So if you're asking me, do I think animals are there? Yeah, I do, and. Does that mean it's possible your dog? Maybe. I don't know. But maybe not either. Christians, again, are very dogmatic on this point. And they're dogmatic on this point because, indeed, the scriptures don't say anything about it. And so you'd be really hard-pressed to argue that your animal, your dead pet, is in heaven. At the same time, I think you're equally hard-pressed to make a case that they're not. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day for animals, yeah, I think they are for your specific pets. Um, I'd have to be agnostic on that. Sure. Okay. Next question. What happens to the soul um, when we die? Christians, but also non-Christians. Okay. So they're a little bit different than from podcast two, where we talked about the intermediate state then. Right. Yeah. So for the Christian, so first of all, we did in podcast two talk about the intermediate state and that at death, the soul goes to be back in the presence of Christ. And that's kind of where we left it. We unpacked a whole lot of different things about it. Um, but the soul goes to be in the presence of Christ. We didn't say anything about the non-believer there. Uh, for the believer, let's just say this first. So as that soul is in the presence of Christ, I don't think it's sleeping. There are some theories throughout church history that talked about that, soul sleep. Mm-hmm. Maybe the soul is there, but it's asleep or it's unconscious and therefore it's unaware. So from the experience, the conscious experience of a person, they go to, they fall asleep in death here on this side and they wake up immediately in glory. It's as if they've had an immediate resurrection, but there was actually could have been on that view a long period of time where the soul is just sleeping. I don't mm-hmm. think that's what's going on. I really mm-hmm. don't. Yeah, the depictions are that this soul is in the presence of Christ and it's conscious. So the very thing in you right now that is conscious and aware and remembering that very thing, that soul is still conscious and still aware and remembering and loving. So it goes to be in the presence of Christ. The scriptures talk about to be in the presence of the Lord is to be made whole and to be made pure. So I think you could say from that, just by by virtue of being in the presence of Christ, the soul is purified of all of its sinful longings and dispositions. It's it's healed, if you will. Mm-hmm. Even if it's 
disembodied and waiting for the resurrection of the dead. It's nevertheless morally and spiritually purified and cleansed in that moment uh, and, and resting there in the presence of Christ and basking in his glory. For the non-believer, uh, well, you know, um, it too will be resurrected. The resurrection mm-hmm. when it happens, the dead, the righteous and the unrighteous are raised mm-hmm. and re-embodied according to the Christian tradition. And uh, we tend to, uh, Christianity has tended to say that the, the souls of lost persons are there also conscious and aware and therefore in misery. Misery, the questions here are, are these are these statements in the New Testament metaphorical or are they literal? Lake of fire, gnashing of teeth and things like that. Mm-hmm. A literal view would say, no, there really is a fire there now. But it, the question, this is why the metaphorical question there is a legitimate question. If if a lake of fire and a gnashing of teeth are supposed to be bad, how could they be bad if the soul is disembodied? Mm-hmm. Nothing to bite with those teeth. Mm-hmm. There's nothing mm-hmm. to burn there with that fire. So could those just be metaphorical? Potentially. Either way, it's very, very clear. I think you could say that the clear reading of the text is that's really bad, that the mm-hmm. soul is in a really bad, bad place there and conscious of it. Probably the greatest torment of all is the solidification that this soul is now bent, broken, forever, gotten exactly what it wanted, separation from God. Mm. And that goes on for all of eternity. So I think that's what's going on. And and I don't think that what I'm saying there is out of bounds with the Christian tradition. Okay. Next question. <laughs> you, know, you, you certainly wouldn't want that, you know. Sure, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, next question here. Where is heaven? Oh, gosh. Dropping them all on you right now. Well, little Johnny, you know, asks Mama, <laughs> Mama, where's heaven? And I think our so three possibilities. Possibility number one is the way we answer little Johnny most of the time. And that is to say, oh, Johnny, that's a silly question. Heaven is not physical, so it's not in time and space. Uh, you know, there is one big problem with that, and that is that Jesus himself is at the right hand of the Father. Uh, Jesus himself is there. You know, he's going to prepare a place for us, we're told, in John chapter 14. And he's there embodied. So remember Acts chapter 1, he ascends in his physical body up into heaven. And according to the Christian tradition, he is still embodied right now. And according to the tradition, Christian tradition, he will come back embodied. So if he's there now and he's embodied, well, then that's physical. So I don't know that the answers, the typical answers that we give to little Johnny work to be candid. Mm-hmm. So two other options, and both of these other options assume that there is some kind of physicality to it uh, even now because of Jesus's resurrection body. Uh, option one would be that, no, there is an actual place within the four-dimensional time-space dimensionality that we live in right now that he is maybe some far corner of the universe or something like that. I don't know that that makes any sense. uh, Another possibility is that maybe as scientists and some of my friends are going to, that do work in these areas are going to, going to love this little shout out. Maybe as scientists have discovered that there's really more than just these regular four dimensions that you and I live and move and have our being in and all physical space as we know it right now, how it lives and moves and has its being in. 
that there are actually multiple other dimensions that you and I don't have the keys to. We don't have access to those other dimensions. They're part of the physical world nonetheless, but they're not parts of dimensions <clears throat> or they're not dimensions that you and I have access to. And therefore, we they could be right here with us. And yet you and I don't have access to them, can't see them, can't touch them or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I think that's a possibility. Bottom line is I have no idea. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I just don't know that it's helpful to little Johnny when we say, oh, it's just not in time and space. Uh, I, I don't know what to do with the ascended Christ at that moment. So. Yeah. What, what should we say to little Johnny? This is a side question. What should we say to little Johnny in this case? Uh, I, think, I, I think we take a page from the politicians and all joking aside uh, and we change the subject. Mm-hmm. And we let little Johnny know that we're doing that. You know, mm-hmm. politicians are, are famous for getting asked a question and what they say is just a red herring. It's, yeah. you know, they don't actually answer the question because they know yeah. they can't. I think yeah. in many ways we just have to let little Johnny know that that's the reality. Johnny, that's a great question. I don't know the answer to it. What we do know, Johnny, is that it's glorious and it's wonderful and it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And deflect what we know. Yeah. yeah. Well, deflect, but let him know you've deflected him. And, sure. and don't, you know, it doesn't help a child when you deflect. And you, you're not honest about it because then they feel like we're always hiding something. Let's not do that with our kids. Let's just be straight sure. up with them. Yeah. Johnny, that's a, that is a good question. That's a real question. It's a question that we as human beings don't know the answer to fully. Um, but what we do know is this. And now we tell them what we know. It's yeah. glorious, it's good, and it's beautiful. Okay. That makes sense. Um, next question here. Mm-hmm. Can we sin in heaven and the the obvious question sounds like no, but the point of the question to me is if we cannot sin, do we really have free will, right? Right, right. There and Yeah, so, yeah, this is a good question. I think universally Christians will say, myself included, that in heaven, no, we can't sin, or I sh- maybe we, we could at least say we won't sin, that in heaven mm. we won't sin. Um, what's tricky about the question, though, comes from our debates about free will in the here and now on earth. Okay. So let me give you two views, the listener, two views of freedom as theologians debate it. View number one is called libertarian freedom. Libertarian freedom is, this is not libertarianism that you're familiar with in politics. Libertarian freedom is a view of freedom that basically says you are free with respect to some choice, call it the decision to to choose A, you are free with respect to that choice if you have the ability to not choose A. So in other words, A or B, pork or chicken for lunch. You chose pork. You were free in choosing pork on this view if you actually could have chosen chicken, right? So you had what they call the power of alternate possibilities. Uh-huh. That's libertarian freedom, okay? So for example, I, may, I chose to wear this gray pullover this morning. Well, I could have chosen the blue one or the red one or a different thing. I could have chosen not a pullover. I could have come in here without a shirt on today and been a redneck or something like that. You know, who knows? Um, I had alternate possibilities. That's a libertarian view. Okay. Another view is called compatibilistic freedom. And on this view, it would deny that you have power of alternate possibilities. It would say you're free to do what you most want to do. So you chose Uh pork. And it, the pork or chicken, were, those were real choices available to you from the standpoint of if you'd said pork, she'd have given you pork. And if you'd have said chicken, she'd have given you chicken. But it wasn't free internally to your own being, meaning 
while those were real options in front of you, you did not have the capacity to do the opposite. You Mm. chose pork and you had to choose pork because you wanted pork and you always do what you most want to do. Now, people Mm. push back on that and say, well, how is that free? Well, because you get what you want. And essentially, that, those are two big views today, all right? Now, <clears throat> the reason this heaven question is sticky is because in apologetics, for many Christian philosopher theologians, the way we answer questions about the problem of evil depends on libertarian freedom. So God could have eliminated our all this bad stuff in the world, and the response would be something like this, well— He couldn't have eliminated all the bad stuff in the world and allow us to be free. And since he wants us to be free so that we can love him, we need libertarian freedom. So the upshot of all that is to say, man, a world without libertarian freedom would be a really, really bad world. That's Uh, essential to many of our arguments in response to the problem of evil from atheists. uh, uh And for now, if you hold – so all that to say – if you're a compatibilist, I don't know that the question of freedom in heaven is a tricky question because you don't have it down here in the first place. So if you mm-hmm. don't have it up there, it's not a big deal. It seems to be this question of sinning, not sinning in heaven, it seems to be a problem specific for libertarianism. Mm-hmm. And to put my cards on the table, I tend to lean libertarianism. So guys like me will have this question, this problem. And the, the question or the problem is this, that if freedom is such a big deal down here, such that we'd say it'd be a, it'd be a worse world without freedom, well, then how do we get heaven, which is supposed to be the very, very, very best world, and you don't have freedom there? That's an interesting question and a unique problem that I think libertarians have. I don't know that I know exactly how to answer that question, just to be intellectually honest. Mm-hmm. I think you could say something like this, that take my son Samuel when he was a little boy. He's 10 now. He's still a little boy. But um, <laughs> you know, when he was three or when he was four, Samuel was the kind of kid that when you took him out of the minivan and put him on the sidewalk, he would bolt across the road (laughs) if you left him to himself. (laughs) But dad would always intervene. And while Samuel himself was the kind of being that had the capacity to bolt across the road, when daddy reached down and grabbed him by the hand, there was no way Samuel was going to bolt across the road. Not because Samuel ceased to have the abilities himself to bolt across the road but because something else restrained him. Now, some people will push back and say, well, then that ceased to be libertarian freedom, and that gets into a technical debate there. Uh, And I would grant, maybe it does. I I just think at the end of the day, that's probably about the best we can do, say things Mm -hmm. like that. So at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, I think all Christians, even the libertarian stripes, would say, no, we don't sin in heaven, even if we don't understand the mechanics of how that happens. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Last question I have here on my list anyway. I'm I think there are probably many questions left, but <laughs> last question I have is this. What do we know about life after death, the experience? And, and the, really the example here I'm thinking of is the one that we hear a lot is granny is looking down on us uh, now. Yeah, uh, that is this idea that people up in heaven, our dead relatives are watching us. Mm-hmm. This is an idea that I would say is is more of an idea from what I call folk Christianity than actual Mm. Christianity. Mm -hmm. Folk Christianity is a Christianity of the masses. It's the popularized version that everybody believes. And so, I mean, folk Christianity, even lost people, clearly lost people, people that would say that they're lost people believe in this (laughs) stuff, right? These popularized versions of something that, oh yeah, they're up there watching us and everything. And I think we take comfort in thinking that, you know, they're watching us because it keeps them with us. 
Uh, and I certainly understand that idea. I would, I mean, sure. the, my dead relatives, I love these people. I mean, I just, the other day I was thinking about my grandfather and just how much I wish I could talk to him right now about some of the things in my life and mm. stuff like that. Um, yeah. But I don't have that ability. So there's something warming and reassuring to think that they're still with us. And I think that there's ways that they are still with us. Uh, but I don't know that up in heaven, they are indeed watching us. And I would hope that they're not. Uh, not just because I don't want them to see the bad stuff down here, but, but I want heaven to be sweet for them. I want their time in the presence of Christ mm-hmm. to be glorious. So <clears throat> let me put it this way. Whether or not they can look down on us, I have no idea. I suspect it's possible. Maybe maybe the, the floor of heaven is glass and mm-hmm. such that they can look down and watch us. Maybe it is, yeah. But let me ask you this question. Think about the descriptions of Jesus Christ in, I think I mentioned this in the last podcast, in mm-hmm. Matthew 17, the transfiguration. And think about the descriptions of Christ in Revelation 1. When in those two places, Jesus is glorified and he mm-hmm. is there as he is in heaven. He is there as he is described throughout the book of Revelation. And John describes them and Matthew describes him in those places as being so fantastically glorious, so overwhelmingly potent to mm-hmm. us that you are fully and completely captivated by him. Mm-hmm. Such that he has your undivided attention, mm-hmm. such that he himself is completely satisfying. Now, think of it this way. If that's your view, when I die or when you die and my soul goes to be in that presence, and I'm so completely, do you think I'm really going to be all that interested in what's happening down here? Right, right. Probably not. I just don't think. Look, I think this insistence that they're watching us right now cheapens yeah. The glory of that place <clears throat> and the the awe-inspiring nature of that place. If what we believe about Christ and heaven is true, then I tell you, they've got a better show to watch up there. They've got a better thing to captivate them there. And I suspect that they are fully and completely captivated by the scene of Jesus himself in that place. Yeah, I I would say to you, man. Even if this, even if the floor of heaven is glass and they could they could look down, they're they're probably just not. I I, I remember once I use this illustration. <clears throat> In our family, we're we're big Jason Bourne family. Uh, movie uh. Family. Right, nice. and, and it's sad that there haven't been any more of these in recent years. But man, back in that series, we loved those Jason Bourne movies. And I remember, I forget which one it was, but I remember when one of them came out in the movie theater. My wife and I, we had a date night, and we took off. We went to the movie theater, and I can remember we when we got into the movie theaters, we're we're big milk dud people too. Mm-hmm. We watch movies, <clears throat> and uh, so we'd gotten our milk duds and our popcorn and our drink, and we went into the theater and we sat down. and We were running a little bit late, so we walked in and sat down right as all of the advertisements for other movies were over, and then the Born movie was actually starting. So we sat down and we were so captivated. Our eyes were real big and our attention was there on the screen and we were staring at the screen. And I looked over at my wife and she just had the milk duds kind of clutched in both hands up against her chest. And she was just captivated by the movie. She hadn't started eating her milk duds yet. Joe, when the movie was over, I looked over and my wife was still clutching those milk duds. He had not budged the entire movie. 
Yeah. Eat those stupid milk duds. Because <laughs> what she was watching in front of her was was that much more captivating. Yeah. And I'm not saying Earth is milk duds, and I'm not saying heaven is <laughs> born. I am simply saying in the same way that my wife was captivated by what was in front of her, such that she had no interest in the milk duds. I think that that's probably what's going on there. And you know what? What I'd say to us, those of us down here that want to be comforted by the thought of them watching us, I understand that. Mm-hmm. But take comfort and take courage in knowing that your loved one is beholding Christ right now. Mm-hmm. And they are satisfied. Mm-hmm. That's heaven. So I don't, I don't, maybe they can look down, but if they can, I just don't think they are. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And in, and I think the essence of that question is comfort, but it's even more comfortable to know that they're taken care of and that, you know, we still have a relationship with God. Uh, he is with us. And we are um, connected to them through him. Right. And we're connected to them through hope that we get to be back with them. This is that First Thessalonians 4. To, you know, we will be caught up in the air together with them, comforting yeah. them with those words. Yeah. And we have their memories and all that they taught us and all those things and you know, that's our hope. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jamie, thanks for taking my rapid fire questions on this and knocking them out. And, and I think you made a really good preface earlier too, um, that, that a lot of this is just sort of best we can figure from what we know. Um, and that makes sense. So thanks for this. Hey everybody, this is Jamie and Joe again. If you like this podcast, would you leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts? That helps other people find it. And if you have any questions, we'd love to hear about them. Just go to jamiedew.com slash questions and send them in that way. And we'll take a look at the most frequently asked questions and give them a shot.